0: Oh, well, by George, one of the great things I like about the post-holiday time is it's a relief when it's over, right? You know, it's like getting rid of a minor operation. Did you ever have a minor operation? They always say in the news, minor operation. What does that mean? Cutting your fingernails or something? <laughs> hey, is, uh, you know, when you stop to think about it, the, uh, cutting your fingernails is a surgical operation. It is. Getting your hair cut is a surgical operation. Isn't it? Well, of course. Why don't you get your hair cut? No, not you, George. Yeah, you know. George looks like a giant Brillo pad with feet. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's not bad. Hey, you know, uh, speaking of... Uh, Of, uh, uh, you know, the holiday scene. I I, I was very sorry to hear the other day that a guy in Meredith, New Hampshire, and I missed the story. I can't believe I missed the story. I missed this, you know. And uh, a couple of days ago, it says John Smith in Meredith, New Hampshire was afraid to tell police there was a hippopotamus on his porch at 3 o'clock in the morning, see? Well, you heard the story, right? Did you hear about that, Jerry? You didn't hear it either? Well, apparently everybody was talking about it. Where the hell were you? I mean, uh, the same place I was, huh? Nowhere, uh, because I didn't hear the story. <laughs> I mean, I bet some guys just now, someplace in the world, some guys just now hearing that World War II is over. I'll bet that's true. I, I just wonder, if you t- took all the people in the world, you know, how many is it, 200 trillion, billion of them? How many people are there anyways? Billions, anyway. I and mean, sometimes when you're down at 23rd Street, Subway station. You got to figure this. it has to be twelve billion, you know, or trillion. I don't know how many skillions, but uh, nevertheless, uh, uh, there has to be somebody in the world right now, well, all the people who not only doesn't know World War II is over, but didn't know there was a World War II. Now that sounds hard to believe, doesn't it? Okay, I'll, be- I'll bet there are, and 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 was alive during the time, you know. I'll just guarantee you, someplace, somewhere, in some country, someplace. Could even be in our country, believe me. I mean, some guy hiding under a rock somewhere up in the Tennessee Hills, you know. Been hiding out there since, uh, you know, since he heard about Calvin Coolidge. And uh, he's been hiding ever since. (laughs) He doesn't know, you know. He got web feet you know got a fin down his back by now you know he's beginning to evolve into something else now he looks like well i didn't hear about this hippopotamus i should have known about this and in case you didn't hear about the hippopotamus scene i'm going to lay it on you listen to this this guy in merit of all places meredith new hampshire now wait a minute now if you if you live in uganda you're not going to be too excited i mean you may get a little nervous But you're not going to be surprised if a hippopotamus wanders up, you know, and hangs around a backyard barbecue. But in Meredith, New Hampshire, nevertheless, it says this guy was afraid to tell police that there was one on his porch. Because he did not believe that anybody would believe him if he called. And furthermore, they would not believe him because of his name, which is John Smith. Well, now, any guy that calls up anybody and says his name is John Smith has got problems right away. You know, that's like Jane Doe or something, you know, calling up. And, and he says, I am about probably, and, and he, I quote him here because he does make a very interesting philosophical point. He says, I guess I'm about the first guy ever to get chased across his own porch at 3 o'clock in the morning in his underwear by a hippopotamus, he said. Now, that's probably a record for at least New Hampshire. That's a first might be he, the 450 pound hippo escaped yesterday from the animal forest park and uh, you know he was out just you know cooling around looking for another hippo maybe looking for a little action you know when you're a hippo you don't find many friends and uh, you may you know, <laughs> that's right <laughs> and you know the first report of a loose hippo came from a resident of Weirs Beach wherever that is a Laconia by the time the police arrived the hippo was gone the next call came from Pearl Smith who told the sheriff's office, and we quote, There's a strange vicious animal on my porch. See, he would not tell him it's a hippo. See, he had, to, he had to hide that, a strange vicious animal on my porch, and I would like to have him removed. And, uh, and now, you know, they, they finally came, they took the hippo away, and uh, they, uh, you know, the, the guy's still a little shattered. You know, you get up in the morning, you hear something thumping around out there, and you figure it's the raccoons again. And uh, you know you go out there and this this thing. Have you ever seen a hippo? Well, you know, I mean you gotta you gotta be honest about it. You're sitting out there being pretty smart about it, you know. But but the, this, this this would have to be a shattering experience because a hippo is kind of kind of a uh, it's a it's an animal that uh, first of all he's got a mouth that's roughly the size of a bushel basket. Wouldn't you say right offhand he's got teeth that look like big tent pegs sticking out? <laughs> and, yeah. and... and so I, 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 you know, I, I thought about this. I said, well, you know, that's a, that's kind of a, kind of a great scene to, to have a hippo. Now that, now, see this. Now, on the one hand, you have to say that this would be a scary thing to happen. But on the other hand, look at it another way. This is probably the biggest thing that will ever happen in this guy's life. Now, I don't know whether you know much about uh, Meredith, New Hampshire, but not many big things happen in Meredith, New Hampshire. And for for ever now, this guy will be able to talk about the time there was a hippo on his porch he just lay that out in a party, you know, about the time I was the, the hippo. Of course, I'd say by next year this time, ain't nobody going to believe him. There was a hippo on his porch. No way. Just, be, just like, I mean, it's just like, I can hardly get anybody to believe uh, the, the story that I tell. And, you know, I had a great moment the other day, speaking of hippos on the porch, a great personal moment happened to me the other day. Now, I have told a story a couple of times on the air, and every time I tell it, I get letters from people who say, all right, okay, all right, smart, you know, you you, you just went once too far, you just turned the notch a little too far, how the hell do you expect me to believe that? Well, you phony, I won't, you know, that kind of stuff. Well, that's why I don't tell a story. I get embarrassed about it because of what, what what the story's about. Well, I'll tell you what it's about. I'm a kid, see, all right? about you know and we lived in this neighborhood there was a lot of houses in the neighborhood just, some people have this crazy idea that because I lived in Indiana I must have lived in the country at no point did I ever live in my life in the country not if you can call the biggest toughest steel mill town in the in the world the country I mean that's you know that's like calling Newark uh, somehow I get Newark uh, vaguely confused with uh, say uh, Miami Beach it's it no way uh, two different ball games you know and 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 so i I'm, We're living in this big steel town you know, there's a thousand houses all over the place and billboards and signs, and you didn't see much in the way of uh, what you could call uh, wildlife. that little wildlife once in a while, you know Bruner'd bring some chick home and then his wife would get mad and hit him upside the head, and that kind of stuff. yeah he I never saw that in my life before again. You know, Bruner got so tanked one night, the guy I lived next door to was he actually bought this bimbo home from the bar. I mean, brought her right home to, to the house there, and, and he just brought her right up in the house there. And there was his, his wife, Mrs. Bruner, in the kitchen. And he brings this headed bimbo in the house, you know, this tomato, and, and, and all of a sudden you hear a lot of yelling, and, and he come popping out the front door like he was shot out of a gun. Followed very quickly by this lady with the red hair, I want to tell you. It was yelling and hollering. I guess he was so tanked he didn't know what he was doing. He never would have done that, you know. You agree? I mean, <laughs> but actually, you know, you could do some bad stuff in drink. I'll tell you, in, in wine there is truth, right? In vino veritas, something like that. Well, see, the true the true Brunner was coming out. He was actually, uh, you know, an elegant man about town. Who hung around with ladies with red hair. You know, and he brought her right home there. Well, uh, you know, I, I it was that kind of a neighborhood, see? So you didn't see much in the way of real wine. Oh, I will say, one time, one time the, the neighborhood went into a, a state of semi-shock when um, this uh, very large, snowy owl landed in a, in a vacant lot at the back of the house there. We had this vacant lot. There were a lot of tin cans and old beer bottles and stuff there in this vacant lot, you know, old busted-up barrels and that stuff and fenders of cars and jazz. And uh, all of a sudden, one afternoon, me and Flick and Schwartz were walking around, and and, uh, and I said, what's that over there, Schwartz? And he said, I don't know. He says, who's that? It looked like somebody new had moved in the neighborhood. And it was uh, somebody very short, but new, you know, with funny-looking feet. And uh, we got closer, and there in the gloom, was standing in the middle of this vacant lot, knee-deep in, in uh, busted-up beer bottles and stuff, was this fantastic bird. I mean, he must have been about three feet high, and he was absolutely snowy white. Well, he's kind of scary, you know. And, and uh, we ran away, and he flapped away, and he just took off, and he just sort of sailed off into the gloom. And of course, the word got out very shortly. Around town, this big owl, this big owl had landed. You know, it's a big owl, big big eyes. You know, and and uh, we—that was the kind of stuff we'd see one of once in a while. But one afternoon, in this old house, now you laugh about this hippo thing in this old house. Uh, there was a, down in the middle of the next block where this old—is it time for station break now? Should I do it now? There was this old house when these—you know—in every neighborhood there was uh, at that time. Anyway there'd be this great, big, fantastic old house was kind of falling apart, See, uh, you, you know, you see a lot of them in, in places like Clifton today, you know, in Jersey. Great big old house with knobs of wood all over the porch and everything. It's all falling down. And there's a big sign that says, for sale. It's been up there, you know, since probably year one. Who's going to buy that old, uh, you know, you couldn't heat that if you set it on fire. And uh, there's a great big old house sitting there. And nobody had lived in this house for a long time. Well... All of a sudden, these people started to move in. There's a lot of trucks out there, and these people were walking around. And uh, they put a fence up around the whole thing. And it was, a lot of people were there. So you couldn't figure out what they were. You know, a lot of people they had trucks, and they had big crates and stuff. And it was on a big lot. The lot was uh, almost a, like a whole block. It had these trees around it. And uh, we used to walk past the alley in, in the in, at night, see. And they had the big garage in the back there, about a three-car garage. And they had boarded it all up, and they had something going on in this garage but they didn't have cars in it they some something was really going on and and one day this tremendous truck arrived and we have to see it me and Schwartz. tremendous truck and on the back of it was a thing that looked like it was a zeppelin i mean it was a truck that had an enormous tank on the back but the tank was covered and they pulled this tank into this this garage we're watching the scene see guys workmen are walking around and, and they've been building something in this garage for some time you could see the they were bringing dirt out and bringing bricks in and stuff like that. And we figured they was building on a house in the garage, some kind of a crazy thing like that, because they dug a big hole in the ground. We saw they dug a hole right in the floor of the garage. Well, now they moved this truck in there. Well, there's, you know, two or three days go by. These guys are working around. And we we, we couldn't get close to this place. Well, one afternoon, there was nobody around. And and Schwartz and I and Bruner are walking home down through the alley, right back of the garage, coming home from school, See. And there were windows in the back of the garage, but they were kind of high up. You had to, you had to kind of stand on, on other guy's shoulders and stuff to look in, see. So we're walking along, and uh, we, we, we put a barrel or something up against the side of this thing, and very sneakily, see, we jumped up on time. We're looking in there. Have you ever, you know, the peeping Tom urge is strong. <laughs> and it's, it's especially strong at a certain time in your life. Do girls have the urge to... I've never heard of a, of a peeping Mildred. It's, uh, uh, I, I'm, I'm very serious. <laughs> I'm just asking that question. Is there any girls out there? Could you, could you tell me, do girls ever have the urge to sneak up and look in somebody's house? I never heard of any doing it, did you? Well, you know, they probably do, but they never talk much about it. I mean, you know, there's a lot of sneaky people. This is, uh, by the way, that reminds me, W.O.R., New York. And uh, we're, we've we got a couple of goodies here. Uh, one of them here is uh, get set for rugged winter driving, you know, by laying in a pair of those uh, fantastic General Winter cleats. Oh, <laughs> yeah, they're the rugged four-rib snow tires. Got four ribs. You got more ribs than that, haven't you, George? What's so good about four ribs? Anyway, they got four. Uh, is that good? I don't know. Back by this promise. You go in snow or General pays the toll. <laughs> and in Flushing... Uh, You go see the Flushing General Tire Service and ask for Dick Breibart at 1501 Northern Boulevard. He'll he'll lay them on you. Uh, Do you have that Mama Leone thing? Now, wait a minute. Hold it a minute, George. You know, this is after Thanksgiving. And I don't know whether you've ever been in Mama Leone. Have you ever been in Mama Leone? I want to tell you, I mean, that is sybaritic. I mean, I'm very serious about it. Uh, Mama Leone is one of the most sybaritic restaurants I have ever been in. Now, you know what sybaritic means, don't you? Well, uh, it it really is. And and this is kind of a goofy time to put on a commercial for a sybaritic restaurant the day
1: after Thanksgiving. But (laughs) it's on the schedule. You get it, friend. (laughs) Do you suppose there live anywhere across this fabulous country a family that has never eaten at Mama Leone's? Maybe there is. And don't you feel sorry for them? Never heard the noise and laughter of our nightly crowd. Never saw their kids light up at the very color and excitement of our decor. Never saw our statues. Never saw our endless wine cellar. And not only that, they probably never saw a parade of food like Mama serves. Oh, sure, they've had Italian food before, but so what? They haven't had Mama's antipasto. They haven't had the cheeses and rich hot bread and the enormous desserts that Mama serves. And finally, they never ever had main courses that everything else was built around we seriously suggest if you have a pathetic friend who's never been to Mamma leone's change his life make a reservation for him immediately and let him see what a great italian restaurant can be like take him to mama leone's where strong appetites are met and conquered mama leone's 239 west 48th street judson 65151. i just wish they had said mama leone
0: <laughs> oh Mamma mia uh by the way speaking of separated events just exactly one week from today, the first of December, between two and six p.m., I'm going to make a personal appearance at the Bookhouse, two eighteen East Front Street, in Plainfield. You be there. That is an order. Next Friday, between two and six, the Bookhouse, two eighteen East Front Street, Plainfield, New Jersey, and I'll be there with pen in hand. Bump and um bump. You know, speaking of uh, of uh, you know, I, I I'm just thinking, you know. I, I got a Thanksgiving story I shouldn't tell you, but I will. It's kind of gruesome. <laughs> it really is. Uh, but uh, when I think of that, that hippopotamus, I think of the turkeys. I've had my problems with turkeys. In fact, I've, I I once appeared one in Broadway. I mean, when you when you really have close contact with a turkey. Hey, you know a turkey's a mean bird. I mean, a turkey isn't that friendly bird that you think he is. No, he is not. And you know another thing about turkeys? I'll bet you don't know this about turkeys. Anybody who's ever lived in Indiana knows something about turkeys because Indiana's a great turkey-growing state. And one of the most interesting things about turkeys is that the turkey is very difficult in one way to raise. Are you curious what that way is? Well... He is probably one of nature's most nervous birds. I'm serious. You know what you know what you can do to a turkey? Uh, or a flock of turkeys. It's a very strange thing. If you take a flock of turkeys, you know, they flock. And so there may be, you know, 15 or 20 or 100 turkeys. And if something happens, like, say, if a dog gets in the middle of these turkeys, I mean, some mean dog gets in... And attacks one of the turkeys. And, you know, there's a whole big thing. They go, you know, they and they flop their wings. And they, 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 they rise up off the air. Have you ever seen a turkey fly? And, you know, at night they live in trees. These turkeys will be in, in these tremendous trees. Well, if a turkey is scared, he is very prone to die of a heart attack. Did you know that turkeys literally simply die of fright constantly? So a guy's whole flock will just die. Because some uh, you know some guy drove past and blew the horn. Yeah, that's right. That's absolutely true. I am not inventing it, and and uh, and this has happened to many a guy has gone down the drain. Like for you know for six months he's been raising turkeys for Thanksgiving, when all of a sudden some clown goes by with a big Buell air horn, and the turkeys are all sitting around you know turkeying around whatever it is turkeys do you know they walk
2: they
0: go. They have a curious humming sound too. They go, you hear them? It's the, the, the waves of sound. Well, you know, here, here are these turkeys that are walking around making that sound and plucking away at the corn. When all of a sudden, Off goes that horn, and they just keel over. One blast of the horn, the guys wiped out. You know, back with back he goes to the insurance company to work. <laughs> He's done. The turkey business is over for the year. <laughs> He's had <at> it. Well, <laughs> you didn't know that about turkeys, did you? Well, that's what happens to them. Well, see, I, 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 uh, you know, I, I, I don't, uh, I, I don't put down animals. But uh, sometimes when you get involved with really strange animals, you, you, uh, you, you come away with a different view uh, of the animal world. Now, I don't know whether you've had much close contact with a hippopotamus. You know, one thing. Do you know what a hippopotamus will do? You know, the hippopotamus sweats blood. Do you know that well it isn't really blood it he, he sweats and he exudes a a, a kind of uh, uh, a, well it's a kind of sweat really it's a it's an ex, a, a sort of a liquid he exudes out of the pores of the skin but it in certain types of hippopotami at certain times it's blood red this <laughs> is strange animal and and he can be vicious A hippopotamus can be a very dangerous animal extremely dangerous in fact, even more dangerous in many ways than the rhino. Dangerous animal and tough, and they get bad eyesight. Fantastic hearing, and they can swim like a fish. And they walk on the bottom of the water. Yeah, they actually walk on the bottom. In other words, a hippo will walk into the river, and instead of swimming out and diving, he just walks in the river, and the water just comes up, and covers him up, and he just keeps walking. <laughs> He'll walk out to the middle of the river, and just walk on the bottom, just like he's walking on the on the on the ground. And graze. they will graze on the bottom. They they're you know vegetarian. They walk around, they eat the eat the weeds on the bottom of the river, and uh, he graze. and have fantastic lungs. He'll stay under for like two weeks, it seems like, say, see? and then all of a sudden he'll just slowly drift up and he'll blow a little a uh, uh, little spume into the air. And he'll take a snort. You hear him snorting. In fact, I remember one time uh, standing on a hill. Uh, this was in East Africa and there were about oh maybe 20 or 25 hippos down in this river winding along below me see and you could see them rising once when you see this little ripple but what you could hear you you, you could hear the snort he just hear it <coughs> he makes a <coughs> and 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 that's his way you know he's got these big nostrils he's got big snorkel pipes you know. <coughs> He's getting on a big snort of air, and then he's gone again. And he's gone forever. He, and, and you think, well, you know, what happened? Did he drown, or uh, did I did I imagine I saw it? And then, then way down soon, just it seems like an hour later, you just see that little ripple, <coughs> and down he goes again. And then, then another thing about hippos: when they walk around in the mud, uh, they love mud. And the reason they love mud is because um, mud keeps their skin damp when they're out of the water. See, they love mud. and He's sloshing around in the gooey mud, and you hear his feet. Yeah. Yeah. And and all around him are these these birds. These the, there's a certain group of birds that live off hippos, and the hippo will walk up on the on the ground or the mud. See, he'll stand in the mud and he'll work his way down into the mud until finally. You can just barely see his head sticking out of the mud. He's sunk in the mud now, you know. This is not water, it's mud. And then he opens his mouth wide. And there he is, he's got a great, it's like a great big mouth sticking out of the mud. Well, then what happens is these birds fly in his mouth and pick his teeth. <laughs> oh, there's an animal that's got the world by the you-know-what, you know. He just lays there in the mud and the birds come along and pick his teeth and you know, they, it's a it's a kind of a great relationship, you know. <laughs> now, why do they pick his teeth? Well, you know, he gets all kinds of weeds stuck in his teeth, you know. Yeah, that's right. He's got a few little clams get in there, you know. And these birds come along, and he's got teeth, you know, roughly the size of bowling pins. So, you know, he needs a lot of tooth picking, you know. And then, and these big old birds come in they are Big birds, they're not little birds. They're big old birds come and sit right in his mouth, you know, work away there. Three or four of them will be working around a hippo, and he's just sitting there. Then, then when he, he's going to close his mouth, see, he lets him know. He goes, Bruh, and Bruh, the birds fly out, clamp, his mouth goes shut, clunk. You hear the teeth clamp down. You know, you always expect some bird, you know, to get caught. And down goes the bird. And you know, a, a hippo, he loves to eat a whole loaf of bread. I don't know why I'm telling you this. is <laughs> esoteric about hippos. But you, nothing makes a hippo happier, see. when you If, if you ever run into a hippo uh, like you're coming home from the A&P, see, and somebody's hippo's got away, and, and uh, he's mad. You know, they get real mad, and they bite. You know, the hippo bites, and uh, he comes along with that big mouth open, and you got this, uh, you know, this loaf of Wonder Bread under your arm. Well, you just shove the Wonder Bread in this trap, and he's going to be happy in a clam. He's going to like that, see? Just shove it right in there. He eats the whole loaf. Just one. Lomp. Goes down like a marshmallow. It's like that. Well, then uh, he may leave you alone, long enough for you to get down to the subway. You know, uh, but, uh, <laughs> so uh, that's the only thing that will stop a hippo, you know, unless you got yourself a 3006. And that won't stop no hippo, no 3006. No, you need at least a 50 caliber twin, uh, flexible twin 50s that may stop him. But even that, you know, he keeps moving just out of sheer meanness. But, uh, nevertheless, uh, you know, speaking of, uh, you know, I I don't want to get into the hippo thing. I don't know why I got into hippos, but I at one time I was really into hippos, and I don't want to I don't want to put that on you. See, no, no, that uh, that's a uh, what's this? oh we got a Gramercy spot spot yeah spot spot all our spots here tonight start with G. It's kind of confusing here to me. Yeah, Gramercy Park, close at 64 West 23rd Street. Says now this is an important spot. Uh, in light of what we've just been saying, uh, they say this. That no matter what shape you are, even if you are shaped like a hippo, that Gramercy Park will do it. I mean, uh, they'll, they'll lay that, uh, and, and they won't charge any more for it, you know. Uh, in fact, uh, you'll save money by going to Gramercy Park. They're at 64 West 23rd Street in New York, and they have this big iron gate. So, uh, when the big iron door slams behind you, you are stepping into a wonderland of fantastic polyester, double-knit stretch, Elizabethan hippo suits. And it's kind of of nice. Aren't you glad you're not safe like a hippo? You're more like a stork, George. You know, the way them feet stick out. Gramercy Park closed, 64 West 23rd Street, and they're open uh, Saturdays and Sundays. They're open every day. You just go on up to the third floor, and they'll lay lay them great threads on you. 64 West 23rd Street in New York, right? When a magazine dies, as 18 of them did last year, we all
2: lose. A source of news and ideas is gone. That's why it's a happy occasion when a new magazine is born. This year, right on Long Island, Newsday gave birth to a bright new magazine. It's called L.I. because that's what it's all about. The people and places, the pleasures and problems that make Long Island so fascinating. L.I. is a magazine in every sense of the word. It's printed in color with superb artwork and layouts. It also contains advertisements in beautiful color. Best of all, L.I. Magazine is part of a great newspaper. Sunday Newsday. See for yourself tomorrow in L.I.'s nostalgic cover story on the daring early days of aviation on Long Island. You'll see why L.I. Magazine and Newsday make Sunday more fun. Newsday. Long Island's own Sunday newspaper.
0: Hey, old buddy boy, does the uh, beautiful, uh, exciting thought of uh, driving on snow-covered jersey roads give you the pip? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you don't have to. Your local General Tire Headquarters has the answer. They're standing there stalwart and solid. They'd like to put a pair of General's famous winter-cleat snow tires on your car, get rid of those baldies, and uh, this time you'll actually get out of those drifts instead of spending the month of December up to your hubcaps yelling and screaming. So, uh, remember the promise, you go in snow or General pays the toll. Uh, You can count on these tires. Let's see. Uh, See Jack Crow at General Tire Service, Northern Boulevard at 38th Street in Long Island City. Now, this is just a quick reminder. Don't forget, it's Christmas fun time again, and you better get on the stick. Send your check or money order to the WOR Children's Christmas Fund. It's a great charity. Box 710, Times Square Station, New York. Well, I'll tell you. You, know, you take this hippo scene. I'm not going to lay any more hippo news on you. I mean, I know that you've heard enough. You you just don't want to hear any more about hippos, and I don't either. I don't blame you. I don't like hippos, really. Uh, I I I at one time kind of thought they were cute when I used to see them in zoos. But uh, I, you know, it's funny how you go through those phases. I went through a giraffe phase at one time. I used to like giraffes. Did you like that? Well. I, I, no, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I uh, the giraffe has got certain slavish habits, which I did not know at the time when I became a fan of giraffes. Uh, I was out at the World's Fair. Do you remember the World's Fair in New York? And I was in this African pavilion. You go you to know that one? It was great, too. It was, it was the best, one of the best things in the fair, actually. And I'm sitting in the African pavilion, seeing I'm eating this uh, peanut soup they had there, you know? And uh, they had a sandwich there. And I'm sitting there eating a sandwich, and all of a sudden this... this gigantic head of this enormous giraffe comes right over the rail and just, you know, zap, took half the sandwich right out of my hand. Now, I I did not know at this, at that point, that giraffes had a thing for pastrami. Well, they don't, but he ate it. Now, see, that's what I mean. You can't trust animals. According to every textbook, the, the giraffe is a vegetarian, right? Well, he ate the pastrami, just went right down and he'd come back for more. Well, I had to move to the next seat. He was big. And he was, you know, kind of lapping up in the soup and everything. He said, here's a tongue a yard and a half long. And so you can be too close to something. Now, do you know that, you know, speaking of that, do you know that I have a friend who had a horse that liked salami? Now, that shouldn't be. I mean, uh, that shouldn't be. This this horse would go absolutely bananas when it's... You know, this this friend would come around with a salami sandwich. Something about salami made this horse just go ape. I mean, if a horse can go ape, I don't know whether apes go horse, but nevertheless, this uh <laughs> this uh, this horse eyeballs will start rolling and we'll go, Hee! you know how they do. And uh and one day she says, Well, all right, you want the salami, you won't like it when you get it and the horse is going, but so she sticks the salami in his trap just like, you know, it was, it was a piece of hay or something. The horse chomps down at it, and he just went out of his bird. He, wow, goop, you know, hoo. And, and, and you could see he wanted more salami. She said, well, if you like that, here, try this. And she gave him another salami, by the way, on dark rye bread. <laughs> but so you can't trust animals. But there are certain things that you must understand about animals. And one of them is that uh, well, now the turkey is an animal. Now, you don't think of the turkey as an animal. Now, one of the great problems with turkeys is after you eat the turkey, what do you do with the bones? Well, I saw that problem solved one time. Now, this is a suggestion to you kids out there. I mean, if you want to really do something great, <laughs> it, it, let me tell you what a kid did. I, I was in a Boy Scout troop, say I was in Boy Scout troop 41, and every year... The Boy Scouts around uh, January, something like that, would have a big thing called a camporee. You know what is it a camporee, George? Well, that, you know that's like a convention of Boy Scouts is what it really is. They, it's, it's and and they have these uh, these these uh, projects and various troops coming. You know, a troop will make a big board out of a pine with a uh, with bark on it, with knots all hammered on it, or uh, a troop will make its own computer. That's what a lot of them are doing these days. You know which is, uh, you know, very closely related to the old idea of outdoorsman law, and they'll make their own computers. See, that's a, a, a Boy Scout project. We had this kid named Dick Humbert. He was kind of a kook anyway, you know. There's always, in every class, there's always a kid that studies real hard. And uh, not only he studies real hard, but he does funny things, you know. Has thick glasses, you know, that kind, see. Well, Dick Humbert was that kid in our class. Never Never was part of the scene at all. But he was in Troop 41. And uh, he'd sit in the back, and he wouldn't say much, and he used to wear his hat straight on the top of his head. You know, we used to put our hat on it, a real snotty angle, you know, the Boy Scout hat, and Humbert would wear it straight on his head. And he always had a very clean neckerchief on, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, he used to get the merit badge in reading, which is this sort of thing, and you know, the merit badge in the writing and correspondence. And, uh, you know, we were always trying to get a merit badge in the, <laughs> you know, how to fight. Or, uh, <laughs> you know, really good merit badges. So anyway, Humbert pulled a fantastic coup. Dick Humbert. Dick Humbert showed up at the camporee with an individual project that swept every, every award right off the boards. And I'll tell you what he did. You listen to this now. At Thanksgiving time... After his family had the Thanksgiving dinner, Humbert got this idea, see. And before they even had the turkey, he had the idea. And so he told everybody in the family, don't throw away any of the bones. Keep every bone, every bone, even the little bones. See? <laughs> every bone. And so, of course, now he's got this big pile of bones. And after after Thanksgiving, turkey was all gobbled up. You know, had this great big... Uh, Platter, a platter full of bones, all kinds of gristle and jazz like that. You know, it's a, you know it's a Thanksgiving turkey, including the the breastbone and all this stuff. Well, then at that point, he boiled it. He boiled it and took all the all what remained of the, of, of the, uh, the the meat off the bones of this turkey until finally he had nothing but this big pile of clean bones. Well, now he went down to the library at that point. And he found in some esoteric book some kind of solution, chemical solution, that you could use to bleach bones. Now, you know what bleaching bones are? It means taking all the moisture out, and uh, they get white. You know, this, the, that's what, when a bone is bleached, it gets this white calcimine, kind of a calcium color. See, that's a bleached bone. That's, that. Well, you know, that's the classical concept of a, you know when you when a kid gets a skeleton costume and the bones are real white, well that's because they're bleached. Well he found that you could get this solution. You can make up some kind of a solution. You get the stuff at the at the uh, drugstore and you bleach these bones and he dried them out. Well then now he has a complete turkey skeleton, but it's in pieces except for you know the backbone and stuff. But it's all in pieces and, and when he had boiled it, even each little individual. Uh, bit of the backbone, you know, the, the various uh, spinal discs came apart, see, and he took out all the gristle and did away with it, see, nothing but bones fantastic job he did and he dried them and then he he used some kind of a white dye or paint or ink and he made these things absolutely snow white well then he went out and he got himself a uh, some kind of a anatomy book, I don't know where you can get an anatomy book on turkeys <laughs> he did and and, and he, he got a he got a big board a tremendous board and he covered this board with green felt now that's that now this is a this is an interesting thing too because there's certain kinds of people that really get deeply involved in projects I have never done this I mean you know where you work eight years making a model of the Andes Mountains out of toothpicks or or you decide to build a model of the George Washington Bridge using only YooHoo bottle caps you know that kind of that's a project see well he covered this giant board it was about five feet square with with green felt okay and then he took the turkey bones and mounted these turkey bones with glue with some kind of uh, cellulose glue so you couldn't even see the glue but they were mounted on this board but they were mounted in an exploded fashion in other words they, they were. It was like a turkey had been blown up. In other words, it was, they were all mounted in the correct position, but sort of moved out so that you could examine each bone of the turkey, and he had each one labeled. And then he, yeah, labeled. Oh, yeah, they were. it was really a fantastic project. And then in the middle of it, he had a picture of a turkey, you know, of a, of a real walking around turkey in color. It was all beautifully mounted and all that. And below that, was a picture of a turkey skeleton. Well, when when Dick Humbert laid that on Troop 41, he brought it in. He didn't even say he was doing this. See, that's the, and here we were working on our projects. <laughs> Troop 41 decided to do, you know, the usual cockamamie Boy Scout project. You know, we're going to get a collection of leaves. Uh, yeah, how about that for a great idea? We'll get a collection of leaves of the local uh, trees, and uh, we'll label them all. Because we had these crummy little leaves, and we had them, you know, we were going to do this. And, and you know, we, we thought that was really great. We were working away at it, and all those guys were collecting leaves. This is an oak tree leaf. And uh, this is a leaf of an elm. And underneath it, we write the, the uh, Latin term, elmus americanus dumbus, or whatever it was. You know, we figured we were doing this great thing. It was very intellectual. Well, one afternoon... Humbert, when we're working away at our project down in the Boy Scout, our Boy Scout headquarters, by the way, in the basement of this church, Humbert lugs down the stairs with some friend of his this tremendous project. And he had never done anything in the troop before. Everybody stood around, you know, their mouths hanging open. Well, oh, what is it? He says, Well, it's a turkey. It's a turkey. Where'd you get a turkey? Well, I got it from Thanksgiving. I saved all the bones for Thanksgiving, and I did this. Well, of course that was a fantastic hit and we took it into the to the to the camper well now the camperee was like a, a convention of all the local scout troops like for for miles around there must have been a hundred scout troops in it see from various troops and they had a competition as to which troop would come up with the best with the best project and of course they were going for the leaves thing too you know that leaves a board with knots mounted on it a uh a pillow with a picture of Hiawatha woven in real pine needles, you know, that kind of jazz. Well, a a radio set built by the members of the troop that actually gets a a signal, and all these very big... And when Humbert's project hit this camporee, it was a sensation, because it looked professional, magnificent, beautiful. Well, we won first prize. And, you know, we, we're all sitting up there at the platform up there. Troop 41 wins the first. We, we never won a damn prize in anything before, you know. And Humbert doesn't say anything. Do you know that that project went on to the national and came in second place nationally in the awards? We got a big plaque, birds, you know, on it. And uh, Dan Beard's uh, uh, picture in bas Relief. Tremendous. And Humbert never said any more. He just went back, sat in the back of the, back of the troop from that day his hat on square, you know. Still trying to get his reading merit badge. And <laughs> and I thought, you know, that's really cool. This this guy, this guy, you, you, and you know what had happened, of course, he was probably the first guy that had discovered cool in our neighborhood. We just thought he was kind of a kook. He was just totally cool. You know? He didn't have to say anything. He just did it. Now, that's cool. See, cool ain't talking, friends. Cool is doing. You buy that, George? You know, there's some guys that talk a lot about chicks. Other guys don't say nothing. They just just do it, you know. (laughs) Now, that's cool. And I don't know where Humbert is today, but he's, he's doing good. you know, guys are saying, you know, one thing about Humbert, he don't say much in the meetings, but when he does. (laughs) Oh, man. So, you know, when you look at those turkey bones, there's a possibility that you too can achieve fame through that bone. I know one guy, by the way, that used turkey thigh bones. Get this, you know, those big bones in the middle? Cut them in half like that, and he he used a saw, a a hacksaw, And they're hollow. You know, turkey bones. And he made a necklace for his mother out of turkey bones. She loved it. (laughs) Well, he dried them. He painted them green, red, and yellow. The only thing is, he didn't know how to do it as well as Humbert. And after a couple of weeks, it was kind of gaming. But uh, after all, the heart was in the right place. And that's all that counts, right, friends? Your heart's in the right place. By the way, where is your heart? In the right place? You know, what is the right place? You know, George, please. Thank you. Oh, by the way, while we're uh, on the subject, may I uh, once again remind you that General Tire's got those winter cleat tires. They'd be glad to make sure that they... We did have another one, didn't we? Yeah, I thought so. When in doubt, to a General Tire spot. You look for those winter cleats. And in, uh, in fact, at the Gertz Car Care Center, Mid-Island Shopping Center in Hicksville, you asked for Bill Cazara for the winter cleats. Big Bill Cazara. He's the guy with the turkey head haircut. This is WOR New York. You stay tuned for Lester Smith and the news.
3: News in detail on the hour from the WOR newsroom an Air Canada jetliner remains at a Frankfurt West Germany airport tonight. Inside are a stewardess and a middle aged man who says he has dynamite to go along with his pistol. His demands from West German authorities have changed from the release of a jailed Czechoslovak airplane hijacker to the release of imprisoned members of a German anarchist group. In a note thrown from the aircraft, the hijacker said, I am a victim of Nazi persecution and I have spent time in a concentration camp. The unidentified man has set a deadline of 6 a.m. Eastern Time for his demands to be carried out. From Falkfoot, newsman Gene Wiley describes how police are trying to handle the situation.
2: They've used the word uh, weak personality, Uh, they've used the word uh, psychologically weak and pathological to describe him, and they feel that by dealing with this person uh, over a long period of time they can possibly wear him down and perhaps he will give up his plan to take this plane to prague
3: and a figure from the nazi era may very well be a prosperous businessman now living somewhere in latin america the daily express of london reports in its saturday edition that martin Bormann, hitler's deputy is still alive at age 72 Express Foreign Editor Stuart Stevens said the escaped war criminal was able to reach Latin America, and we quote, "...thanks to the protection of the Vatican, former Argentine President Juan Perón, and some of the most powerful politicians and financiers in South America." End quote. The London Express Report said that Bormann financed his protection with gold and artwork smuggled out of Germany before World War II ended. What's the peace hang-up in Paris? Although official secrecy prevails, as Dr. Henry Kissinger and North Vietnam's Le Duc Toe continue their conferences for a Vietnam peace agreement, diplomatic sources in France are talking, and they say that the United States insistence that an international peacekeeping force be put on duty in South Vietnam as soon as the combat stops is the present difference between Kissinger and Toe. And still, according to the diplomats, the first objective of the current talks is to get a Vietnam ceasefire, the second part, to set rules for the peacekeeping force, the third phase, the release of war prisoners, and then a military arms agreement is the fourth part. Today, Dr. Kissinger and Toh met for an hour, and they're scheduled to talk again tomorrow. Attacks by American bombers against North Vietnamese military supply areas continued today with a record 15 raids flown over the North during the past 24 hours. Fifteen more missions were flown against suspected communist troop concentrations in South Vietnam. A special representative of South Vietnamese President Chu is in Paris, getting regular briefings on the private talks. The Saigon man wants to come to Washington to talk with President Nixon, but he might not get that far. Today, unidentified administration sources said that President Nixon is expected to refuse any personal meeting with Chu's representative. The sources explain that Mr. Nixon prefers to keep his Saigon contacts limited to either the embassy level through Dr. Kissinger and other foreign policy aides. More news after this. Does the thought of driving on snow-covered roads give you the chills? No need. Your local General Tire Headquarters has the answer. A pair of General's famous winter cleat snow tires to put you on the move for only $37.90. That's for the popular size 713 tubeless blackwall, plus 195 federal excise tax per tire. And if you have a bigger car, larger sizes of the winter cleat snow tire are comparably priced. General's winter cleat snow tire is always ready for action with a deep self-cleaning cleat pattern, wide, sure-footed, 78 series profile, and four husky ribs of tread. In this promise, you go in snow or General pays the tow. Stop in and mount your winter cleat snow tires at your local General Tire headquarters. At Flushing General Tire Service, see Dick Breibart. At 150 01 Northern Boulevard, see Jack Crow. At General Tire Service, Northern Boulevard at 38th Street in Long Island City. WR Radio News Time, four and a half minutes after 11 o'clock. A bad time was had by all at the Geisha House Massage Parlor this afternoon on West 42nd Street. Police said that Vincent Hill and two of his male friends went to the parlor at 414 West 42nd Street to complain to manager James McNary about the manager's alleged advances toward Hill's girlfriend. An argument started, and during that fight, a revolver was allegedly pulled by the manager who shot Hill in the chest. Hill is in serious condition at St. Vincent's Hospital. McNary and another parlor worker, Danny Roberts, were arrested, and so was one of Hill's friends, Hill's girlfriend is a masseuse at the Geisha House. 65-year-old Paul O'Dwyer says he plans to run next year for president of the city council. Today, O'Dwyer said he'll line up support and then he'll announce his candidacy. O'Dwyer was the defeated Democratic candidate in the 1968 race against United States Republican incumbent Senator Jacob Javits.